This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 196 with guest Amy Pearson. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another bonus recovery episode of the podcast. This is episode nine in the 10 part series. We have one more next week, which I'm really excited about these episodes. If you are new to the podcast, here's how it's been working. Every Tuesday, I've been dropping you a recovery episode. What these are are conversations I've been having with women about their addiction and recovery. Mostly it's conversations about a kind of a struggling relationship with alcohol, whether they identify as an alcoholic or not. But we've been talking about love addiction and codependency and food. In our, in our last recovery series that I did last year, we had someone specifically on who struggled with food addiction. I will pop the link in the show notes for you so you can go back and listen to those other episodes if you want to. And then on Wednesdays is the regular edition of the podcast. So after next week, we're going to kind of go back to our normal routine over here at the Your Kick-Ass Live podcast. Actually, starting on Monday, February 5th, this is exciting. I am going to start doing daily podcast episodes that are going to be short. I hope nobody out there was like, oh my God, I don't have enough time. They're not going to be long with, they're, they're not going to be guest interviews. You know, those are the episodes that tend to be longer. These are going to be short, probably gosh, I don't know, anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes, Monday through Friday, again, starting on February 5th. And they're also going to correspond with an email that goes along with them. So if you don't subscribe to my email list, you can easily do that by texting the word kickass all one word, to 444-999. What you will also get when you do that is a digital copy of my ebook, The Three Ways the Shit Talking in Your Head is Making You Crazy and How to Change That. It also comes with an audio version because if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like the audio version, so I'm giving you both. But again, if you text the word kickass to 444-999, that will subscribe you and you can get those daily emails because sometimes they're easier to consume when you read them. They're also easier to share with your friends, which I would be so incredibly grateful if you did. Each week is going to have a theme and it's all going to make sense. I promise it's not all over the place, which I, I, this is probably my own inner critic that tells me this, that I tend to jump around and be all over the place and things don't make sense. But the majority of you tell me that things make sense. So thank you for that. I'm really excited about this, this series all through the month of February. I'm going to be talking about my own upper limit stuff that has gone on as this book promotion has progressed. I'm going to be talking about, you know, telling real life stories, everything from stories about my kids, stories about my life that all have a personal development lesson in them. I'm super excited about the, the switching things up for 2018 and I'm just pumped. 
And then the last thing before I jump in to this conversation that I have this recovery podcast is if you still would like to get into the book club, you might be able to get in depending on when you are listening to this. I do have to cut off registration at some point or else it won't make sense. (laughs) You're like jumping in on the last day or when we're done. And we officially started January 22nd. But if you're listening to this that week, then you can still join us if you have a copy of my book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, my new book that just came out. It doesn't matter if it's an audiobook or if it's an e-reader or if it's an actual copy that you hold in your hands. Just head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash HTS FLS, click claim bonuses, and you will be walked through how to sign up for this free book study. Again, we just started. It's amazing. I'm walking you through the book, helping you, answering your questions, supporting you, and this community of women is just amazing. So let's switch gears here and let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Amy Pearson is an actual friend of mine. She's been on the the podcast before. We are work colleagues and friends and I could not wait to have her on. She is someone who I've I've been with her through her own recovery from the beginning. And again, I could not wait to bring you her story. So before I do that, let me tell you just a little bit about Amy. <laughs> Amy Pearson is owner of LiveBrazen.com. She's a master certified life coach, a coach mentor, and instructor for Martha Beck's life coach training. She's a teacher, coach, writer, and speaker currently working on her first book titled Forgiving Amy. A former approval addict with the occasional relapse, she is now addicted to success. Her mission is nothing short of world peace by inspiring every human being to heal themselves through radical self-forgiveness. So without further ado, here is Amy. Amy Pearson, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love that I'm selfishly, I love that I get to talk to my real life friends about this <laughs> such an amazing, important conversation that I've been having over the last several weeks mm-hmm. on my regular podcast, specifically talking about recovery. If you are kind of new to the podcast, I've been doing, uh, it's 10 weeks of recovery episodes, more specifically, mostly with women who have struggled in the arena of drinking. And Mm -hmm. some of them do identify as alcoholics. Some of them identify as being someone who has a unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Either way, we are hearing their stories. And that is where I would love to start with you. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us your drinking story and even anything outside of the lines of drinking that, that you felt you had an unhealthy relationship with? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. And I love that we're talking about this. I just have goosebumps right now. Um, so I, for most of my life, um, I've been someone who has, um, been really, uh, a gold star chaser. Um, I, uh, love to kind of amass awards and, the the reason is because I've always felt like if I had these awards or if I was um, sort of the most interesting or funniest person in the room, then people would respond positively to me. And so um, I'm also a life coach and I've been doing that for going on eight years now. And one of the things I realized as I was in my coach training and as I was using the tools on myself was that a lot of um, my sort of, I guess, unhappiness in life really stemmed from this obsession with getting other people to approve of me, 
Um, and also on the other side of that, really this, this fear of judgment, any kind of judgment or criticism or rejection, really. And, um, and so that, you know, what that looked like was that I, seven years ago, eight years ago, I had, you know, I had the house, I had the guy, I had the car, my hair looked great. Um, but underneath that, I had this secret and the secret was that I was really miserable in my life. I was miserable and I was full of resentment and I was, um, I was pissed off and I was blaming other people for it. Mostly I I like to blame my husband. He was my target of choice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) and so, um, there's that expression and I think it was Oprah, but I'm not sure. And it, and and it, it goes like the universe tries to get our attention and it starts out as a whisper. And then if you're, if we're not listening, it gets louder and louder until it hits us like a brick on the head. And so I was going along in my life overachieving and amassing more gold stars. And at the time I was working as a policy research analyst for a progressive think tank because I thought, you know, if I was um, someone who wrote policy for the Oregon legislature. It sounds very important. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds important. And, you know, I thought people would think I was really smart. And I, I mean, I wanted people to say, there goes Amy Pearson. Do you know she solved the hunger problem in Oregon? How does she do that and stay so thin? Like this was stuff that went through my mind. It's embarrassing to admit, but, um, so I was doing that. And, um, I remember I was working on a, a, a report on the home mortgage interest rate deduction. And I was also six months pregnant with twins. And I, um, remember I, I was getting ready to turn this report in and my brother came home, came to my, came to my home. And I could tell just looking at him that things were not right. And he said, Amy, um, we need to go to the hospital. Mom, dad found mom in bed and she's, she's not breathing. And so long story short, she died of heart failure two days later. And then three months later, my twins were born. That was sort of the brick. That was the brick. And that hit me on the head. And what happened was, um, I just gave up. I was sort of like, fuck it. I can't do this anymore. And it was sort of when I gave myself permission to do what I really wanted to do, which at the time was to read self-help and to read woo-woo books about past lives and near-death experience. And um, just really because I had this curiosity about where my mom was. And so um, one thing led to the next, and I ultimately became a life coach. And in that work, um, I really felt like giving myself permission finally to do what it was that I really wanted to do was sort of the first step in helping me to create a life that was so sparkly and shiny on the inside. It didn't matter what people were thinking on the outside. And so how does addiction fit into this? Well, I think, um, you know, addiction is a, a, I kind of think of it as a pattern of behavior that we do over and over again, despite negative consequences. And so for me, it's taken on many different manifestations. And so um, that behavior was one piece of it, but that was one sort of behavior. So I'm in life coaching and I'm growing my business and everything is going really great. And you know, I'm starting to learn how to be happy and to source that from inside. But I'm also a mother and um, I have twins. And these, you know, these were, these were not easy babies. And, and then two and a half years later, we had this surprise baby. And so I had three babies. And I remember when the twins were two and a half, I had this other, you know, my other baby was born and I had three babies without, like, they, they were all in diapers. And I, I, I had to, um, it was just a really hard time. And, you know, I'm still dealing with this grief 
um, because I really never fully grieved the loss of my mother. I was too busy. I was taking care of two babies. Yeah. So, you know, there's all this grief there's that that's underneath things and not being processed. And then there's all this work and I'm feeling all the shame because of course, you know, we tried to get pregnant for seven years and we really threw every piece of technology at it. And I should, I should be happy. I, you, you know, I'm grateful. Yeah. Grateful. <laughs> There's no time for that other stuff. Right. And, you know, I, so I had all of this shame around, um, not being the person I thought I should be. And that was the same kind of shame that was really underlying my addiction to approval was that I thought I needed to be someone else. I was ashamed because I wasn't who I thought I should be. Mm-hmm. I was out there trying to, um, be a different person so that I could get people to respond to me in a certain way. And so that's, I think, so that was happening. It's sort of like it was all coming back up again in a new way. And, um, it just became sort of this self-medication, you know, I would, I would, I would have wine in the evenings and it was sort of like, it just smoothed things out. And, you know, I never really wanted to get sloppy drunk. It was for me more just, I just wanted to get, but I wanted to get numb Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I wanted to get numb. And so it just started out that way. It started, you know, and I, I drank before that, but really it was after the, my, the loss of my mom and the birth of my kids, where it was sort of like, this became my thing to do in the evenings. And I I've been sober now for four years as a life coach, you know, we are on to our stuff. Like yeah. we're on to Damn it, sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm so self-aware. And I, I just, I, I just knew that it was, you know, they say that alcoholism is progressive. And of course my, I, I have, um, I come from a long line of alcoholics and my, my, um, parents were alcohol, you know, they were, they're in reco- they were in recovery. And so, you know, I've just had firsthand experience with it. And so I was very self-aware and I, I knew that things were, were not going in the direction I wanted them to go. And I, I remember I started to, um, I'd show up to my um, coaching sessions and I'd, I'd be hungover or I'd, it'd be three o'clock and I'd be thinking about um, getting, you know, having wine or I'd be in the shower in the evenings and I'd be promising myself that the next day I wouldn't drink and then the next day I would inevitably drink. And so these things were happening. And I was also embarrassed. I didn't want my neighbors to always see me with a glass of wine in my hand. So I was very aware of the window in the kitchen that faced my neighbor's window and um, not wanting them to see these things. So I was aware I was onto myself and and, but, but, and yet I would ask, I would ask people that I knew who were in recovery or I'd ask my friends, I would say, do you think I have a problem? And people would be like, no way you, you know, like you're fine. Like you, you don't have a problem. And so I, and I would be one of those people who would take the tests online. Are you an alcoholic and, <laughs> and stuff like that? What were the and results? Every, well, the results, I don't, I mean, they weren't conclusive. Right. And so you know, it was just, it was, so I continued and, um, I just, so I, so there was this one, um, there was this one thing that happened where I, it was summer, right. And warm weather, you know, I always wanted to drink when it was warm. It was like, that was like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, you have to drink when it's warm. Um, and so it was September and one of the things we do in Portland in September is we go and we watch, um, the Swifts, which are this, this kind of bird that roost in this, huge chimney at this one school. And we like people in Portland love to go there and have picnics and watch this happen. And so I was there with my kids and a good friend. 
And I remembered on this night, um, there were some security going around and they were telling people that they couldn't drink. And I remembered going, oh, hell no. You know, <laughs> I've got the wine here. This is happening. Mm-hmm. I can't have a good time without, you know, getting, you know, having my drinks. And so I just snuck the wine and um, I got pretty drunk. And I remembered when it was time to go, my kids are with me. Um, and my friend was asking me, are you okay to drive? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And, and the reason I said that was because I just didn't want to deal with any hassle. I like, I just didn't want to deal with having to get a cab or call my husband. You know, I, I, I wasn't sloppy drunk, but I was drunk. Yeah. Um, and I, I shouldn't have been driving, but I did. And so I drove home and we had to cross the river and, you know, we had to, you know, it was darker and I, I never liked to sober or not. I don't like to drive in the dark. And yet I did it. My kids were in the back. Um, and I just, and, it, and I, I wish I could say that it was like the next day where I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I just risked the lives of my children and what would have happened? You know, what would have happened? I, I could never have lived with myself if anything would have happened to my children. And I wish I could say that the next day was when I changed my behavior, but it really wasn't until, um, it was, it was actually, the, um, the day of the dead. It was November 1st when I decided I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it was that, that evening where I realized, you know, if anything would have happened, I would not have been able to live with myself. And I made this promise um, when I finally decided to stop, I made this promise to that, that, that me that lived in the alternative universe where something did happen. And I made a promise to her yeah. that I would, I, I wasn't going to drink anymore because of what, you know, what could have happened since then I've been, I've been alcohol free. Wow. I'm, I'm so glad I got to hear that. Cause I, I mean, I've known about your sobriety from the beginning, but I didn't know the whole story and couple of things jumped out at me and, and I didn't realize mm. we had actually so many parallel similarities. Mm. And, and I, and I wanted to point out, cause I think this is really common for a lot of the listeners is that a lot of us reach a point in our lives because I think for, for so many of my listeners, a lot of them don't have that rock bottom where they're going out to bars or clubs and, and, and some of them have, it's, it's hard because they are at their corporate job and like happy hour is, is a big thing and part of the culture of their job. But I think for also a lot of my listeners, it's what you were describing. And that, that was my story too. I had, I had a ton of grief over around my first marriage and losing the family that I was so close to. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm, I'm in this new marriage with this great guy and we have these two babies and I should be happy about it because I turned Mm -hmm. my life around and everybody's like, yay, Andrea, you made it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I was also grieving, losing the identity of my single self. And, Mm -hmm. and that was really awkward. And I didn't know that we were allowed to grieve that or that, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of shoulds around that. And then I was also, kind of bored as a stay at home mm-hmm. mom. And yeah. I was also similar. I had, I had gone through life coach training. It started when I was pregnant with my oldest, who's now 10 and sort mm-hmm. of extended all the way into my, my pregnancy with my, um, my second child. And then I was starting my business and I had two babies and it was hard. And I had all this anxiety and all this stress and all this grief mm-hmm. piled up and piled up. And I wanted it to go away. 
I didn't personally, I didn't know how to actually deal with it. I had lived my life as someone who really wore it as a badge of honor that I could soldier, soldier through and like, watch Mm -hmm. how strong I am. Like, watch me get through this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think, and the interesting thing that I realized after I stopped was that I, I, I had this relationship with my pain. It was like, I needed the drama, mm-hmm. you know, I needed all of that so that I could excuse myself for the behavior. So it was sort of this vicious cycle. It was like, I was self-medicating because I was um, bored and I was ashamed and, you know, I was trying to live up to all of these things that I wasn't. Um, but then it was like, I needed all of the drama. I needed all the stress. I needed all of that. So it was like, um, you know, this vicious cycle. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. I don't know if that's been brought up at all, but I too, same thing for me, that actually came a, a, a couple or maybe a few years into my recovery where I was doing a lot of healing and Mm -hmm. I was on this path and things were looking great, albeit uncomfortable as it, as it is. But Mm -hmm. I remember having, I don't know if I came to the realization with my therapist or my coach, or maybe just a trusted friend. I said, I don't know who I am without this pain story. I don't know who I am without this struggle. Are are Mm -hmm. people still going to love me? Are people still Mm going to, am I going to be interesting if, (laughs) if I'm not in so much pain anymore. Like yeah. I didn't know who I was without it. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because for me, one of the things that really sparked the, um, the drinking, uh, and I had no idea about this was that I thought I should be more extroverted. I wanted to be more interesting and entertaining. And so like when I had, when I was buzzed or when I was drunk, or I could socialize, I could go out and be around people, large groups of people. And I felt like I was funny and I felt like I had the, knew the right things to say. And so it just, you know, or, and it also just allowed me, it was sort of like, I would not want to go to these things, but I would go to them. And then it was like the alcohol got me through them. Mm -hmm. And so when I stopped drinking, what I realized was that I had to say no a lot. And I had to accept a lot of these parts of myself that I didn't even know existed. Like I didn't realize that I was so, um, that I liked quiet so much and that I really, um, enjoy being home. And I, 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 you know, I like to just be by myself a lot. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to face those things because culturally, right. We don't really value that. And so I wanted to be, I wanted to be this, this other person, um, this entertaining, funny, charming, mm, you know, mm-hmm. gregarious person. And so, um, you know, it was the alcohol that really got me through that and changed my personality. Um, and it was when I stopped drinking that I really had to accept who I was. Um, and that has really been an interesting process. I agree. I concur, my dear. And I know that you and I both have done a lot of work, uh, the work that we do in the world with our clients and Mm -hmm. the work that we do on ourselves around worthiness. And I think that Mm -hmm. personally, in my experience, I don't know if yours is the same, but it is a different experience doing it sober. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because like, I can remember times where stuff would come up in my life in, in recovery. And I would, I would be so in my glass case of emotions and 
sober, you know, like there's no, there's no, there's no back door, Andrea. Like you have to walk forward through this and feeling like I had a story in my head. It was, it was a subconscious story, but that I could not bear my own pain. I Mm. could not, and, and, and the different conversation, but it was a lot of how I couldn't be with other people's pain either. So, Mm. but my own, I could, I didn't think I could bear it, you know, hence the drinking for me. And yeah, I uh, personally worthiness, the work on worthiness and accepting. And I think that's kind of what you were speaking to, like accepting yourself for who you truly are when you are in recovery and a sober person is a, is a, is a profound experience. It's, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. I'm right now, like I'm, it's hard to, um, accept yourself because, (laughs) um, I mean, it's hard and it's not hard. It's hard and it's wonderful. Because it's complicated. Like that's it's the word how I would describe it. Like it's wonderful because I'm so much happier now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm and and then it's hard because there are still parts of myself that I struggle with. Like I am a very impatient person and I can be super domineering. Mm-hmm, and same. you know, and it's <laughs> like we, you know, like I have to now like I have to deal with that. Like I have to deal with those behaviors. I have to, I have to look at them and deal with them without going and getting drunk because I don't want to look at that. I actually have to deal with that. And so it's, it's hard. But the other thing I think that happens is that when you stop drinking and I, I have this opinion about social drinkers too. I, I just kind of think it's lazy. I think alcohol and drinking is sort of the lazier choice. It's like, let's, you know, let's go and get drinks or let's go to happy hour or let's, you know, whatever it is that is social and socially approved around alcohol. It's like people go and do that. And I, I mean, this was me. Um, and then as a result, it's like, we don't, whether you consider yourself an alcoholic or not, like you miss the chance to learn about what you would be doing if you weren't using alcohol. And so for me, like what happened was I had to, like all this space opened up, like all this time opened up and I had to figure out like how to fill it. And in the process, it was sort of like, wow, I learned about all these things I I love that I had no idea. And that was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like it it was such a wonderful thing. Um, But at the same time, you know, it just, I have to also look at the the dark, you know, I have to look at these behaviors of mine, um, and I have to deal with them. Whereas before I could have just, you know, self-medicated away, you know, that, you know, I could have just numbed it out, but I have to deal with it. Yes. I, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm wondering when you were first sober, if you wouldn't mind sharing how, how did you get sober and how, mm. and more specifically, cause I always say like getting sober is the easy part. Staying sober is the hard part. So yeah. how did you get sober and how did you stay sober? For me, getting sober required me to actually tell the truth. You were one of the first people I talked to. Mm-hmm. It was really humbling. You know, it was really telling the truth and, and is a really humbling process. Um, my dad's in recovery. Uh, it was huge for me to talk to him about it. So having those conversations um, was the first thing. I, I didn't get sober the way my parents got sober. They got sober through Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I, I did get so- sober 
through community. I think that's where it, you know, that's where the similarity is. Um, because for me, one of the things that I did was I, I, I didn't go to, um, a Thanksgiving celebration that our family does every year. Um, because let's see, um, what's the timeline. Okay. So the first, so I got sober and then there was a Thanksgiving and I knew that in this particular environment, there would be a lot of alcohol and there'd be a lot of like talking about alcohol and socializing around alcohol. And even though I knew I was going to, um, disappoint a lot of people, I decided I wasn't going to go. And instead I, I went to Costa Rica with, um, Tommy Rosen and he's a guy who talks about sobriety and he does um, a lot of Kundalini yoga. And, um, I, and, and, and I went and I participated in that. And in the process of that, you know, I found a lot of community. There were people who had issues with all kinds of different addictions, um, not just alcohol, but, you know, being in that community, um, and surrounding myself with that, and doing a lot of yoga and taking care of myself. Um, but I think the first thing was telling the truth. The other way that I told the truth was I shared my story with my community. I have a coaching practice and I'm um, writing a lot. People are reading my stuff and, um, I, I shared, um, my story. I, I think it was maybe just a couple months after I got sober and that was really scary. Um, and then I just continued to share six months later, a year later, some of the things that I learned, I I was learning. And then in the process of that, the beautiful thing that happened was people emailed me and said, because of you, I stopped Yeah, because of you, I changed. Thank you. You know, and, and just, just this outpouring of gratitude for me telling the truth and telling my story. And so all of those things sort of happened in the first year. And that was really important. And I, I, and then I, you know, I would get triggered, but a lot of, for me, what really helped was just saying no, you know, not doing, this is really hard. This, I think, because I think it was because of my life coaching experience and I'm always helping other women to have boundaries and say no, that I knew the, that tool and I knew how important it was. And I don't think a lot of women do. And so I think this is where we can get into a lot of trouble or really have a lot of challenges in sobriety. If we're not able to say no and have boundaries, because for me, what really helped was staying away from situations that would have really triggered me in the past or would have, um, where I would have wanted to, to drink. And so I, I said no a lot. And even though I knew it was going to disappoint people, um, and that, that was really, really important was for me to just, um, just take care of myself and, and be uh, away from a lot of that stuff. And so those are things that come to mind. It sounds like it was, you really had to walk your talk in terms of your own addiction to approval and approval seeking. Yeah, it was really like putting me back in that position and making me uh, what you know, live it to give it, you know, yeah. just, uh, in a whole new way on a whole new level. And really, you know, my work around approval addiction is really about living authentically, you know, that cliche, it's kind of cliche to use that, but that's really what it is, is about being who you are. And so I, for me, like, I knew that, you know, I was, I wasn't living it to give it when I wasn't drinking, mm-hmm. you know, that. And so the choice that I made to live my life sober, I just consider that the ultimate authenticity because there's, you know, you just, you know, you can't avoid it. <laughs> you yeah, have to. True. So, um, so that was really important to me that I was in integrity out there in the world. 
Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, that could be like an entire different separate podcast episode where uh, talking yeah. about saying no and boundaries yeah. and things like that. And for anyone listening in my new book, page 100 is where I start talking about boundaries and I give a whole step-by-step process on that. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily, it might not be a boundary. It might just be a hard conversation, you know, like telling your family, I, I'm, I'm going to skip Thanksgiving this year because I'm newly sober or, or even whether you tell them or not, you know, sometimes that's just a hard conversation and, and God, those are some hard lessons because what we're used to, it's just easier to say yes. And just like, Oh, yeah. I'll just go and, and be then drink really wine. uncomfortable. Yeah. Or say drink. Yes and then, well, say yes. And then no worries. I can, just get buzzed. You know, I can just go and be buzzed the whole time there. That was my approach. Yeah. Both outcomes are uncomfortable. You know, either we say yes and it's like, uh, don't want to do that, but say no. And then it's a hard conversation and people get feelings hurt and I want them to like me. And we just, I think we have to, we all have to get to a point where I call this the tipping point where the pain of staying the same is just slightly more than the pain of change. Both are yeah. uncomfortable. What do you think is something that has been I know you've talked about like a couple of struggles, but is there anything else that you can think of that has been an obstacle in your recovery or sobriety or, or maybe more specifically, have you ever had those instances where you think about drinking again? And if so, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, I, it happens frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) it seems trivial, but, um, one of the things that I, um, picked up after getting sober was I sort of re, um, engaged my obsession with tennis. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a total tennis nerd and I love it, but you know, I also lose to people I, sh- I don't think I should lose to. And so, um, it just seems so <laughs> trivial, right? But this is, right? Like, this is where it, the, but it seems trivial, but this is where it matters Yeah, because we will judge things as trivial. But for me, like I, I had a bad experience where I lost to someone I didn't want, I didn't think I should lose to. And I'm, I'm, I'm driving home and I literally feel like I want to crawl out of my skin. So whether it's a tenant, you know, like there are trivial quote unquote trivial things that happen to us. And then there are big things that happen to us and we want to crawl out of our skin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I just want to drink. I just want, I just really, really want that drink. And, um, recently I've had, um, some health issues come up. I had to track down this mind body coach that I really loved. And we, we did a few sessions and it was really fascinating because she really just reminded me of things that I already knew. One was to breathe and the other was to feel my feelings. And so (laughs) who would have thought (laughs) and to name my feelings and just to ask myself, what do you need in this moment? Things like that, you know? So, um, that is the stuff, you know, this is, that's it for me. Like I can do shame, you know, I can do anger. I can do frustration. Um, so I just breathe through it. I feel it. It's so funny too, because when I do that, it's especially with shame because shame is so painful. And Mm -hmm. our first instinct is that we just want to, um, self-medicate in whatever way, right? Whether that's alcohol or some other behavior. But um, when you feel it, you allow yourself to just feel it and breathe it and just kind of, you know, just whether you know it's shame or not, just a painful emotion, um, it it eventually it it stops or it it kind of goes away or it gets a lot less painful. And so um, that's really my tool these Mm -hmm. days. It's just, uh, you know, I got to feel this stuff. I got to feel this stuff and I got to breathe and I got to look at, um, 
these behaviors that I don't like about myself and I have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to deal with them. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think that those reminders of just the basics are still so important yeah. to talk about. And I think too, just for being really transparent and and telling us that, I mean, I talk about it all the time over here that I still have to be reminded of the, the you know, so self-improvement 101, the stuff that yeah. we, we know, but we forget, and even the stuff that we teach other people that sometimes we forget to do in our own lives. And I, I've told this story a couple of times before on the podcast. I, same, you know, it's like these trivial things or these big things, you know, more mm-hmm. recently, I remember it must've been earlier this year or maybe late, I can't remember when it was, but it was not long after my, my dad had died. And I think when, when my dad died, I, it was the first person I've ever lost in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people talk to you about grief and their own experiences. And what I heard a lot was, you know, at that point I had just celebrated six years of recovery. And I had always kind of wondered, like, I wonder if I will drink. And I don't know about you, Amy, but like, mm-hmm. and I've heard this is, this happens. Like people have like recovery fantasies. Like if I do ever drink, it's going to look like this. Like I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out with a bang. Like it's going to be for some noble reason, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But mine, I always wondered, you know, because I felt like if I drank when one of my parents dies, Mm. then people will be more forgiving, I think, you know? So I always, which is, which is territory, by the way, listeners, like if you're thinking those things, you should probably tell someone that you trust in recovery or go to a meeting if you're an AA or whatever recovery uh, resource you use. But I, I, my dad died and people had told me, you know, be prepared for holidays being really hard or your birthday or so I mm-hmm. I was bracing myself for that because mm-hmm. control my one of my hardest things is control like I, I want mm-hmm. I want an itinerary for things like I want you to mm-hmm. tell me how things are gonna go mm-hmm. so I was ready you know I was ready for grief mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and well there was one day where I was I mean it came out of nowhere and I'm sure you can understand this and, and mm-hmm. there have been some things that happened I smell something or um, yeah, those things that are unexpected, but make sense. But this was unexpected and it made no sense. I was, mm. uh, I think I was loading the dishwasher. I was by myself at home and it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I collapsed on the kitchen floor, like crying so hard. My legs would not keep me up anymore. And I'm like mm. in a heap on the kitchen floor. And the first thought that came to my mind was my God, I wish I had a bottle of wine because this mm-hmm. would all go away. Mm-hmm. And my next thought was, where's my phone? Because if I don't tell someone, I am going to go and drink. Yeah. And I texted two of my friends and they responded right away, thank goodness. And yeah. I actually did end up going to an AA meeting that night and I hadn't been to one in years and it was helpful. And I've had moments where there are smaller things where it's, it's just been like a fleeting thought. Like, oh, a glass of wine sounds good. Mm-hmm. Like anytime I'm on a boat or I'm camping, I'm like, yeah. how do people do this without drinking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. On a boat. Same with me. <laughs> but yeah. Camping I've, too. That's funny. I've been on a boat lots of times without drinking. I've been camping lots of times without drinking and it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just fine. Definitely. But yes, I think that for me, it's in those moments where, and it sounds like it might've been the case with you too, in that moment of frustration of losing that tennis match of, I want to change the way I feel. I don't like this and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I just want it to go away. Mm -hmm. Yep. I just want it to go away. And so for me, you know, just it's the opposite, right? I want it to go away. So I'm just going to deal with it right now. I'm going to feel it. 
Yeah. And just he- facing that head on. And, and yeah, the same, same with me too. Like I, I, I call people like, it, it's funny. I had an, a moment where I was taking dishes out of the dishwasher too. And something hit me. So watch out. It's, you know, I don't know what it is about that, but um, where something hit me and I, I had this desire to drink. And I remember I, I called my sister who's in recovery and I texted you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that really helped, you know, obviously like, yeah. So, so those are two tools, but for me, just feeling it instead of, if you want it to go away, then that's, that's when you need to actually feel it. Um, and, and just know, I promise you that it, it doesn't last forever Mm -hmm. feeling it, you know, it will last forever if you don't feel it. It does. It sure does. It sticks around and waits for you. Yeah. And it it takes all these other forms. Right. It's really funny. Completely. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about what your thoughts are on this because I, I get people who are clients or people in my classes and they are either sober curious or they kind of know that they might have a problem. And so they, they do like, um, okay, I'm going to not drink for 30 days or 90 days or some longer for some people. And then they, they, and then that date kind of is coming up where they are going to reach their, their goal. And then they're really contemplating drinking again. They, they they kind of Mm -hmm. want to, but they kind of don't want to. And and really what comes up in the conversation is around moderation. And Mm -hmm. they, I hear it all the time, you know, like I, I want to see if I can moderate. What do you tell people? I'm curious because I have my own opinion. I'm curious what yours is about that. Um, I just don't, so from my own experience, because I was one of those people, you know, I, I stopped drinking for a month when I, you know, as I became more and more aware of it being a problem and it was the same when I smoked, you know, I, I stopped smoking for a while. And then whenever I start anything back up, I mean, it just, it becomes like 10 times worse for me, (laughs) you know, just Mm -hmm. like, and that was what I experienced with, with alcohol. It was like, I remembered the night that I had a glass of wine after stopping for a month and it was, underwhelming. I mean, I had the, the glass of wine, my husband and I were out at dinner and I was just thinking to myself, no big deal. Oh, look at this. You know, I'm just drinking normally. Mm-hmm. And, um, then <laughs> the next night I was like, my husband, I asked him to bring me some wine and, you know, it just became, then it was like, I, instead of having like a couple glasses, it was like, I was drinking the whole bottle. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what it is. I just know my own experience that it's like a, it's a flips a switch and things just get worse. And so, um, that's what I experience for me. I don't know, just, I just don't, you know, like I don't necessarily label myself as an alcoholic. I, I'm really not interested in that. You know, I, I just know that it it wasn't, this is, it's not my, it's not my choice. I'm not going to choose to live that way anymore. I don't want to be that example to my kids. And so I just choose not to have that conversation in my own head. It's just not, you know, I'm just not going to, my life is so much better now. And that's the thing I think is it doesn't take, it's not a month. Like if you decide you're going to take a month off, that's great. Go ahead. Or two months or three months, but you're never going to experience the incredible transformation that is waiting for you at the other side, when you actually make the choice to stop, because now things are so, so good that there is no way I would go back to that. There is just no way I wouldn't, someone paid me a million dollars. I would not go back to that. 
Yeah. So I think if you decide to moderate the, the bigger point is that you are not going to experience what it is that's waiting for you when you change your life in that way. Mm -hmm. You can't in a month. Yeah. I I do think that example, like a month is, is pretty quick. And I, when I was trying like good for you for going 30 days, like I couldn't go 30 days. Like (laughs) I went six. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who can't go 30 days. I was ready to crawl out of my skin. Like I could not do it. And I was, I was like, Nope, fuck you. Like this isn't going to happen. And I had just talked to my friend who was in recovery and, and she said, you know, just try 30 days. And, and really like what she was saying, I can't remember if she said it out loud or if she was just thinking it and we talked about it later, but it wasn't about the 30 days. It was see what comes up when you yeah. try to stop drinking. Like what happens? What are your thoughts? What are, how are you feeling? How are you acting towards other people? So that it was, it was really more about like what bubbles up during that 30 days. And yeah, I couldn't Mm -hmm. make it. But my opinion is like, I, I think that people need to do whatever I love. I love everything you said. And I agree with it. I also think that Mm -hmm. people need to do as much, much research as they need to do or Mm -hmm. else they will always question it. You know, they could get sober and they'll have a year or even more. And then like, always like, I think that's a dangerous place to be that wondering, well, what if I can moderate? So I'm always like, go try. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you really have a problem with alcohol, whether you identify as an alcoholic or or not, if you were really meant to be sober, you will know fairly quickly that moderation yeah. is is hell for us. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's possible trying definitely and seeing what comes up. It's it's not going to be easy. But the the I guess the point for me is that what you experience when you actually make the commitment to live a life without, without the alcohol. Um, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Absolutely. I, uh, want to just ask you one more question before we wrap up. And I've asked several of my guests this. I love, I love this question. That's if you could tell us one thing that you are proud of right now and one thing that you're struggling with. Mm. I guess I'll start with the struggling part. Like I'm really struggling still with the part of me that wants to be domineering and, and, um, the part of me that's impatient and that, you know, my kids teach me that Mm -hmm. I have this one daughter who's just like, she's just a shiny, sparkly human being. She's the kindest, gentlest soul in existence. And I got her Mm -hmm. and, um, it's really hard, you know, she's also in her own little fairy world. And so getting her to get ready for school or, um, you know, uh, get ready for bed. Those are things that she just doesn't live in that world. She doesn't (laughs) dwell in that land. So Mm -hmm. that really triggers me. So that's really a part of my personality that I have to work on right now. I'm not really proud of. And then um, the piece that I'm proud of is definitely um, the book that I'm writing right now. I'm working on a memoir called Forgiving Amy. And it's um, all about sort of this idea of self-forgiveness. And I've really had to um, get out of my comfort zone and um, tell the truth about some things that I've really never talked about before. And also just the process of writing a book is very different for me. Um, Being a recovering approval addict, I really like instant gratification. Like Mm -hmm. I want to do something and then find out right away whether I got the A, you know, um, likes and comments. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The likes, the comments. And so, um, I mean, it's been a year and a half and I've been, and I'm, I don't even, it'll probably be another year and a half. I don't know when this thing is going to be done and I don't know whether I'm going to get an A or even a D. And so it's really just been a process of faith and, um, believing that, 
it feels right. And so that's all I, that's all that I really, really need is for it to feel right and to just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've re- been really proud of being in that process. Oh my gosh, Amy, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm so grateful. Oh, likewise. Thank you. I think it's so important that we tell our truth now, Mm -hmm. even more than ever. I think that we are experiencing a shift in energy and a rising up of, of women stepping into leadership and stepping into telling the truth. And Mm -hmm. it's one story at a time. And I'm, I'm so honored to be able to facilitate these conversations and be surrounded by such magnificent women like yourself and, and so many of my listeners, all of my listeners. Thank you so much for sharing your time. I know your time is very, very precious and I never take for granted that you spend it with me on this podcast. Mm. Thank you so much. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 